Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with State Corporate Training. Thank you to Craig Hass and his team for their ongoing support of the Collisions YYC podcast. Leadership, a term that conjures up everything from images of the hard charging Hollywood portrayal to the introverted, quiet CEO who emerges from their office with a magical path forward for the organization. No matter what comes to mind for you, I guarantee it'll be different than it was pre pandemic. After the past 18 months, the demand on leaders at all levels of the organization has changed. No longer can you rely on technical expertise alone. People on your team need you to be more human, and more importantly, human in a way that matters to them. Through my interviews with the team at SAIT, I was introduced to a more balanced approach to leadership, one that was truly a game changer for me and my perspective around what it is to be a successful leader. They call it the six leadership intelligences. Adaptability, emotional, collaborative, social, psychological, and digital intelligences. At first blush, aside from a couple, you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, what do these have to do with leadership? I'm here to tell you everything. We live in a world with a rapidly changing landscape that requires the need for human connection that has never been more important. How can you manage change if you are unable to create deep, safe, and meaningful connections with people around you? Simply put, you can't. Whether it's an entire organization, a division, a field office, or a small team, if you're not equipped with the intelligence you need, all the smarts in the world won't bring a group of people together to make the opportunities and challenges facing your organizations today. SAID is here to help you and your teams put together a package to put the skills in place for a safe, inclusive, and high-performing culture. To find out more about what they can do for you and your organization, please check them out at sait.ca slash corporate training, or better yet, open up your email and contact Craig Hess directly at craig.hess at sait.ca, that's H-E-S-S. He would love to chat with you and walk you through your needs and how they can put together a solution for you and your team. Hello and a warm collisions YYC welcome to my, to my new, but I would say good friend, Mr. Murray Rogers. How are you, Murray? I'm great today. Thanks, Tyler. And you? I am fantastic. Very excited for our phone call, uh, for our phone call, for our podcast today, for our chat. I will uh, blatant plug. I, I had the chance to meet you through another close friend of mine, Ms. Tina Mathis, and we had a conversation a few weeks ago on, on my other platform, my passion platform, but they, they both kind of fall into that same category. They just get it where we talked about your recent book, which was The Psychedelic CEO, which we'll touch on in a minute. But blatant plug, anybody wants to go and learn a little bit more about that, please go check out that other podcast. But today we're going to take a little bit of a different angle. Murray, you come from the world of, is it 30, 30 plus years working as senior geologist and senior leader in the oil oil and gas sector? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So to say that you've got deep business experience is not, it's not a far, it's not a far stretch to make that, to make that statement. <laughs> that's probably a fair statement. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm making, uh, I'm going to make you blush a little bit here for you. But I, in our conversation, talking about your experience with psychedelics and, and, and how you've seen the benefit personally, which we'll share a little bit with the audience. But what you really pivoted to me was there is some real economic opportunity here but like a lot of new or maybe emerging or uh, not that the psychedelic industry is new, it's being recognized at a different level today. There is some real economic opportunity, but there's some challenges in the business models, maybe some opportunities for companies that have some good ideas to think about it differently. So for today's show, maybe I'll let you set the stage a little bit about your experience, how psychedelics came into your life. And then let's really get into the business opportunity of how this could actually be a positive influence for our economy here in Western Canada. Well, thanks, Tyler. Yeah, a few years ago, I, I mean, I had been aware of psychedelics for a long time, as many of my generation have been. But a few years ago, I started to dive in deeply to uh, the new research and, and also the, the, it seemed the number of people that I was running into were all taking various psychedelic journeys in, you know, generally in other countries where it's legal and uh, coming back completely transformed. And 
it was intriguing to me um, what this medicine was really doing because it was clearly a medicine. And uh, so I went to Costa Rica a couple of years ago to a, uh, a psychedelic retreat, an ayahuasca retreat called Rhythmia, which is legal, uh, legal psychedelic uh, retreat in Costa Rica. And, and, you know, I had two weeks of transformative experiences with, with the medicine. I did eight ceremonies over a two-week period, and it was phenomenally transformative at so many levels, like lifelong depression and sadness and grief and things like that, that it kind of, you know, trailed me my entire life, got cleared up, and I reframed my entire life's story, really, uh, through the psychedelic experience. And I thought, well, this could be a very powerful tool for um, many, many aspects of human development. And so I began to, I came back to uh, to Alberta and uh, wrote a book about it. And during, during that time, and the book was called The Psychedelic CEO, and it was about leadership and how psychedelics could actually transform leaders in the modern world. Because the shamanic view of things is that all human beings experience a primary wound between birth and age seven. And we live from that standpoint of the wound. And I thought, well, there's a lot of wounded leaders out there, and they're wounded humans, and perhaps this could be a, a leadership development tool as well. But then uh, the more I looked into the research that was going on around the world, uh, the neuroscience research, it, it's just exploded uh, in Europe and in North and South America. And the research findings are just profoundly positive in terms of the impact of psychedelics on a myriad health on myriad mental health issues, depression and anxiety and PTSD and things like drug addiction and, and uh, alcoholism and, you know, suicide ideation, that kind of thing. There's tremendous positive outcomes being seen in the research. And then it became clear to me there was a new movement afoot in the commercial space. Suddenly, psychedelic companies in the past few years were springing up like crazy. Lots of IPOs, uh, public markets were very frothy. It was kind of like early cannabis days. And so psychedelics became like the new thing. And uh, here we are today with Alberta actually now having said that, uh, or, you know, established a psychedelic research chair at the University of Calgary just this summer and numerous companies springing up. And I'm involved in one company that's a therapist driven psychedelic business called Atma. And Calgary's at the forefront, Alberta's at the forefront of psychedelic research and actually executing on some of these psychedelic therapy modules. Interesting. You touched on the cannabis space. Would you say, you know, is, is this, I appreciate because that was very frothy and there was a lot of big success stories, early wins, and it, that, that industry has definitely gone through some highs and lows. Did that kind of set the stage for this? Is this the next wave? I know, and again, we want to talk about it because it's very different. I think even the, the dynamics of a cannabis consumer versus a psychedelics consumer in terms of recreational versus medical. But did, they, did did cannabis really set the stage for this? It's hard to think that that was not the case. <laughs> I think it was part of the mindset that, that a lot of people thought, well, you know, cannabis is plant-based and psychedelics are generally plant-based with the exception of some of the synthetics like LSD and MDMA and ketamine. <laughs> Everything else is plant-based. And I think there was this thinking it would be the same thing, but it isn't the same thing at all because psychedelics are directly focus towards therapeutic healing and, you know, essentially curing people of mental health related uh, ailments. And so this is a very specific modality in the marketplace. It's a helping, it's a healing modality. 
And as a result, it needs to be conducted within kind of a, a legal and certified practitioner framework in order to become, you know, widely accessible to the population. So and just even the words, because there was the medical cannabis movement that was, I'd say, maybe a little bit more tied, but I, I've seen the list of ailments you could check off that would fit where what we're, you're not, we're not necessarily going to see a recreational psychedelics industry in that same, recreational psychedelics is a very different thing. And I'll be honest, some of us have experiences, you know, 18 years old, 16, 15, 25, having a psychedelic experience. That's not what we're talking about here in the same way of a guided, you, were the, you used the word shamanic earlier, coach in North America, counselors, coaches, practitioners, therapists. That's when we're talking about this space, it's much more tied to a guided you know, outcome intended, an intentional outcome, not necessarily a recreational Friday evening, just to use that as a direct comparison. Yeah, that's a really important distinction. And the term that's used kind of in the psychedelic industry, if you want to call it that, is set and setting, meaning the mindset that you bring to the experience and the setting within which you do that experience uh, is critical to the success of the outcome. Many of us who in the past did psychedelics recreationally had, you know, had experiences that couldn't be interpreted that led to some kind of, you know, fear and, and uh, uncertainty over what that experience was. And so there's a lot of negative bias around it. When it's done in a sacred setting, as the shamans do, for instance, in South America or Costa Rica, when it's a sacred ceremony, it's ritualized, there are incredible helping outcomes that come out of it. Because you're in a safe environment, you're protected and under the guidance of somebody that has a lot of experience with it. We also believe here in the Western world that this environment has to be created also in the realm of the therapeutic model with therapists, with doctors, psychiatrists, that type of thing. And within that context, tremendous healing occurs. When you think about the difference of, you use the word ritualistic, the word shaman, the, those are typically not associated with the medical or more the bent of the Western view of things of how we want to put it into more of a scientific construct. Is that just simply our way of filtering? Because I appreciate cultures and biases and, and in historical values. It, it, we're still after the same outcome when it comes to the individual and their ability to quote unquote heal, which I think you've used that word very clearly. Are we just putting our filter on it as North Americans in the, under the Western culture of a therapeutic slash scientific approach, which is more coaches and counselors where the South American or other parts of the world where this has existed for thousands of years, you ritualistic shamans, nature, they feel like we're after the same thing, but yet we're coming at it from two kind of different filters. Is that, is there any risk in that? Or is that just simply, that's how we see the world it, it, from a Western perspective? Yeah, I don't think there's any risk in it at all. And I think they intersect rather nicely. I mean, the shaman is essentially a doctor. You know, that's really what it is, a, a traditional doctor in any kind of indigenous tribe. And so they have their own system of healing. We have our systems, which are the Western medical system, which is a masculine-dominated kind of structured linear system. And whether we like it or not, in order for psychedelics to become pervasive and accessible to the average person in our society, we need to go through that system in order to get it legalized and accessible. And that system is the medical system, doctors, therapists, and, and Health Canada, and that type of thing. So the ATMA model is to work right within that system to show, to demonstrate the research, to demonstrate the outcomes, to give the regulators, Health Canada, enough information that they can confidently say, yeah, this is real medicine and it's desperately needed in our society. So we have to work within that mindset. One might say this is the 
masculine mindset that we have in the Western world and mm. in other parts of the world they're dealing with the divine feminine mindset. So they're less less concerned about rigid, you know, rigid protocols and structures and more into the healing of the spirit and that type of thing. We've had to move into the medical research based uh, realm here just because that's what the system requires. And so that's going on. And the outcomes are absolutely profoundly positive within the structured research system. Which shows the deep-rooted value of the experience that it can be in either system and still cause value to the individual, which is ultimately what we're talking about. Is you know, And there's nothing, you know, that COVID the last 18 months certainly hasn't moved us in a positive direction from a mental health perspective and people being, you know, we've kept you safe, you've kept your body safe, but what have we done for your mind over the last 20 months? And that's, I know that's a whole nother conversation. So curious when it comes to the Western, and we'll talk about Canada because that's, that's where we are right now. Obviously, regular, regulata- regulatory uh, bodies, whether it's national or federal, uh, national or provincial, where are we on that journey? Because I know, Atma, I think there was a story back in the spring where they were able to facilitate an end of a, 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 a psychedelic experience for an individual who was experiencing an end-of-life situation around cancer. Kind of where are we? Because it felt like cannabis kind of slowly got some of that, and then all of a sudden it just like, accelerated to this recreational model. Are we on a one-year journey, three-year? Because when you think about business and investment, where we are in that cycle of quote-unquote legalization or permissibility really affects how the money flows. Well, it certainly does. And it's an interesting question. And I think it's, it's probably a three- to five-year horizon yet for it to become widely accessible to the public and, and you know, fully approved within the Health Canada realm. However, the, okay. the folks at Health Canada are very, very progressive and open-minded in terms of looking hard at the data and the outcomes and working with groups like Atma and Wayfound, which is their therapeutic partner, looking at the research, listening to the therapists, listening to the doctors who are, who are advocating strongly that this is a real helpful medicine. And so up to this point, um, for instance, in the Atma model, uh, Atma has a Section 56 exemption with Health Canada, and they're allowed to use psilocybin for palliative care which is end-of-life distress for people that have terminal cancer. And it seems like they're at the end of that road of life. Mm-hmm. And that was what that you were referring to earlier this year, that they did kind of a pilot project, and it was uh, sort of a national news item with a young man from Airdrie. And it was a very successful and powerful outcome and experience, yeah, very positive. And so, you know, Atma is working within the Health Canada realm for palliative care right now that will eventually expand to other forms of mental health as health canada gathers more data and gains more confidence in how this is going to work the atma model is again within the health canada umbrella to train therapists in the use of psychedelics so that they are well prepared to use this once it becomes legal we see the delivery system for psychedelics as being the therapeutic community and the more therapists that are trained properly and have the experience of psychedelics themselves and then have uh, a network of sitters set up so that they can accompany a number of people on journeys at the same time, it becomes like a feeder system for the medicine once the medicine is, in fact, legal. Back to your mindset and your setting. So are these clinical psychologists, like just give me an idea from, from a from our from our Western view of like who are these, who are these individuals? Because therapists can also be a broad, a bit of a broad, uh, all-encompassing term. Right. Well, the uh, Psychological Association of Alberta, for instance, has 
support of this training program has lent support to that. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's actually been certified or licensed by the Psychological Association of Alberta, um, that's a, a wide spectrum of therapists, but they have to meet certain criteria. Um, that's the realm, the level that we're working at. So we have buy-in and support from essentially the licensing bodies here in the province. So this is definitely tied to the counseling, coaching, therapeutic model. With it. Essentially, you get an accreditation on your uh, associated with your skill set to say that you are certified in this. No different than any other modality. There's multiple modalities that exist in that world. This would just be another tool in the tool chest, if you will, for these therapists to then help the, the people that where this could be line up. Like we're, we're really yeah, just building correct. off and an existing model. Continuing education credit, which is the first of its kind in Canada as well. So that's interesting. You know, that has okay. all been set up. So we're working well within, you know, the established framework. Okay. So when you, if you start to build on top of that, if that's where it's going, when you start to think about the financial, from your perspective as, again, longtime business person who's worked in a world where, you know, investment and return, it was, it was the, the backbone of everything that you did. How do you see this becoming a viable and like, is this is a bit of a cottage industry in the sense that it will be small and niche? Or does this have the opportunity from a financial perspective to actually grow and reach a critical mass where we actually can see some impact? And kind of what would that look like? Like, how do you see this economic model Where's where's the follow the money? How's the money going to really facilitate through this journey? Yeah, they're they're great questions, and a lot of them are still still being worked through as in early as any early stage industry. But the large companies that have done you know massive financings in the past few years, like Compass and MindMed, their goal is to become pharmaceutical companies. Basically, they're researching the molecules. They're researching. They've got research studies going on all over the world that they're funding and they're collating that research and they'll work with the FDA or Health Canada to actually get these medicines legalized. So they're coming in from the top down, which is the research, the molecules, and psychedelics as medicine. So that's one model, and they're a long way out from, from cash flow and profitability. That's a, a huge, long R&D project. So they're consuming a lot of capital, raising a lot of capital, and doing fantastic research and you know and with the idea that they would become the you know the Pfizer of psychedelics etc now that's one model and that's a model that a lot of companies were kind of chasing initially they were saying well let's fund more research and look at the DMT model molecule which is uh, fundamental to ayahuasca for instance and let's look at LSD and let's look at these other psychedelics and so that research is going on with smaller companies that have raised money around these ideas, but their pathway to cash, their pathway to cash flow is, is again similarly quite long, and so the revenue models really aren't aren't great at this point in time. And then there are companies that are setting up clinics worldwide and or in North America anyway, and some in Europe. And again, that model is predicated on people paying a fair amount of money to go and and you know they have to get approval from a doctor and or a psychiatrist and then they have to go to the clinic and you know that model I think probably has some some merit to it in its own right but it's pretty selective and it's still pretty hard to get a large pipeline of people involved in that so we identified a niche in the marketplace whereby the real delivery system going forward is is through therapists and so the therapeutic training module idea had a lot of uh, appeal because it's direct revenue. Adam was the only psychedelic company in Canada, to our knowledge, to have generated revenue in the first six, six months of operations. 
which is pretty interesting. So there's a very strong and positive revenue model based on the training programs and the therapeutic services network that's being created uh, for worldwide, uh, almost like hub for credible therapeutic psychedelic information, services, training modules, and that type of thing. So it, it appears to be a pretty sustainable revenue model at this point. Still early days. We also have a retreat in Costa Rica where it's legal, so we purchased a retreat. And there, it'll be ther therapist-driven, so therapists can send down or go, go with groups of people to Costa Rica and do legal therapeutic ceremonies and, and weeks and retreats down there as well. So we tried to tie it to the therapist realm, not just at like psychedelic tourism. A lot of people into psychedelic tourism whereby they buy a retreat somewhere and then they do a market it. And hope Which is show. kind of a like the yoga retreat model, to be honest. There's lots yeah, of versions yes, of yoga that. Retreat You're model. just picking a, picking a modality. And, and this isn't that. This is working within the, within the established therapeutic community and providing avenues for them to do their therapy in a legal sense. Interesting. So if you want to look at what you guys are doing in AMA, it, it's less of a psychedelic business model. It is an education model that's needed because of this, um, this wave of, of the need for skills to be able to administer, but you guys aren't in the realm of the production of the, of, of the substance or the distribution. You're looking at the education that's needed across the board uh, locally and eventually nationally to then support the fact that if this is going to become an option for people, they're going to need qualified and skilled uh, facilitators. Shamans, <laughs> our version of shamans. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. That's well said. And that is, you know, we're squarely in the middle. Interesting. Okay. I, that, that really helps. So from an investor's perspective, we put on our investor's hat and I've had a lot of people on the show recently talking about, you know, early stage seed rounds, those types of things, looking for opportunities. And, you know, I was chatting with someone the other day and one of their, you know, part of their investment thesis, like if you can help people at scale, like globally, and at the end of the day, you're providing a need that improves people's lives, we're interested in investing in you. So if I'm that group or a variety of others out there that are just looking to get in at some, what is an early stage, what, what are some of the things you would start to look for? Like, how do we start going like, okay, this is four years out. That's maybe riskier money. This is a little bit sooner. What are some of the things that maybe an investor would start looking at if they want to, the desire is get into the space. Okay, boom, where do I go next? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, I think it, it depends on your mentality as an investor. If you're kind of a, a buy and hold in the long term, you might be wise to put some money into some of the dominant psychedelic research companies because they look eventually prevail and become legitimate providers of, of medicine to the marketplace. So, you know, that's a longer term hold. You can play the ups and downs and the volatility. These are highly volatile stocks and so they come and go. So you have to have that. You can either be a day trader or you can just buy and hold and forget about it for a few years. That's one strategy. Okay. The other is to say, well, you know, where are the early and sustainable revenue models uh, where do they exist? We think our company is probably unique in that sense because we've already demonstrated positive revenues. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, naturally I'm, I'm going to put that out there, but, you know, I have a bias, but it's factually true. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there are a number of other companies that are doing creative things. A lot of them are moving towards apps and mental health apps and finding a technological mm -hmm. solution to offset the, the long lead times for all their psychedelic research therapy, they're building apps on the side. And they're saying, well, we're going to commercialize the apps for mental health. We tend not to really have a lot of belief in mental health apps. We don't think that the fundamental changes in the help that people 
really need occur in the technological realm. Uh, we think it's experiential and strictly related to the medicine and the people delivering the medicine. Mm-hmm. So we are we see the plant we see plant medicine and psychedelics as a technology in its own right, even though it's generally from the planet. And you know the other point too, we're, we're not in this. We're, none of us are in this to make a ton of money. I mean, we want to demonstrate a profitable revenue generating company, a legitimate company. But we're all medicine people. We work with the medicine in our own lives. And it's affected our consciousness. It's affected our ability to affected our ability to actually migrate through the commercial landscape because we have a different view of things. Not everything's based on commercial decision. Uh, this this idea of helping the maximum amount of people in society as quickly as we can is the key purpose of this company. And we know we can do it in a sustainable business model that has revenue and is attractive for investors. But the real drivers, we think we can impact the most people the quickest through this model. Interesting. So when you think about, you know, purpose, purpose-driven investing and people wanting to get involved in things that I had a friend of mine, I, I made a comment the other day and I said, well, you know, you don't always have to invest in things you're interested in. He looked at me and said, well, once you've reached kind of a point in your life, he goes, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you only invest in things you're passionate about? Like, kind of, the, and I was like, you know what, touche, my friend, you got you got me on that one. I took this very analog. Nope, nope, it's all business. We do our we do our research and we invest. He's like, well, actually, no. <laughs> you know, so what I'm hearing is the opportunity for people to who have their own, have either had their own experiences or have their own positive associations with the good that this can do. And you use the word the medicine being a technology. I was going to use the word it's more of an analog answer, but I I, I appreciate what what you said. This isn't an app is not necessarily going to be the answer to truly help people from the viewpoint of using the medicine in a very therapeutic approach and letting the medicine provided by nature be the technology itself. How much do you guys see as your role as as an organization who's looking to to affect these people, this, this mass amount of people as positively as you can? Where's the education play come into that for you guys? Because this is this is new, and I think a lot of people have mis. There's more misconceptions than there are maybe current conceptions of what psychedelics are. And I hope podcasts like this like shine the light, and people walk away going, "Huh, maybe I'm going to look at this again in a different way." Uh, who's who's playing the role of educator in, in in all of this? Because this is a big mindset shift, and you're you're blowing a lot of people's heads open with this concept. <laughs> well, <clears throat> pardon me. Well, Atma is leading the way in partnership with Wayfound Mental Health Group. Wayfound Mental Health Group is is a national, they're in Calgary, but they're also a national organization that have been doing mental health therapy and and work across the country for the last 20 years. And so the training programs that that Atma and Wayfound have developed are accessible to therapists. They're going to be accessible. Some of the other modules that are being created will be accessible to people that want to learn about psychedelics and how to actually participate in a psychedelic experience in a therapeutic and supportive way. So there are all kinds of of, of training modules that are being developed uh, jointly here. And I think Atmos whole model has become the go-to uh, service for training, for legitimate research, and um, for legitimate experiential, um, you know, training uh, for therapists and setters and so on. So it's it's really the uh, the whole model is based on being the go-to um, hub for legitimate psychedelic therapeutic experience and knowledge. 
In addition, uh, ATLA has uh, works closely with a nonprofit called Catalyst Presents, which is the leading psychedelic organization in the country for uh, conferences and for independent uh, psychedelic knowledge and research. And so ATMA is sponsoring, along with Catalyst Presents, um, a national psychedelic conference uh, next year in Ontario, which will have sort of a who's who of psychedelic medicine uh, at this conference. And so we're working closely with all the experts in the field uh, to further increase our ability to educate and legitimately train therapists. So a balance of kind of a push and a pull strategy as, as the public becomes more aware, but also for people that are aware that they have challenges from a mental health perspective and want to pursue change, they're now going to be meeting with a therapist who goes, oh, these are all the options we have available. Have you considered psychedelics? So appreciate coming at it. Also, that's in a world of you know professional designations and respect. So I think it's a great way to deliver it that maybe can dispel some of the old quote unquote, old myths of, of, of psychedelics. And, you know, like you said, some of us have been around sixties, early seventies, uh, somebody having a bad experience, you know, when they were 17 with LSD or something like that, how do we move past that to really think about it in a completely different therapeutic light? Something yeah. you said earlier that I wanted to touch on, cause I've been, I've been doing some reading on this and maybe you and I even touched on it. In our last conversation was the drug companies, like becoming the drug companies of the pharmaceutical companies of psychedelics. When you take psychedelics, there's a chemical, there's a chemical experience that happens in your brain. And there's lots of really interesting science around, you know, fMRI scans and what's happening, but there's also a very experiential side, which you and I have touched on. I know you've experienced yourself, the hallucination side, the, the true psychedelic response. Is there any risk that we, that, that those two things become separated and we turn it we treat it too much like a quote unquote a pharmaceutical or a drug company versus allowing the fact that this is a very visceral, very experiential way of, of, of experiencing your own <laughs> traumas and, and past wounds. Like, again, is there any risk that we go too far and we normalize it? We normalize the benefits right out of the substance. Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, that's a, that is a risk because of course the, the current regulatory paradigm is to understand what the molecules are doing, what, what molecules are oper you know, operative in the psychedelic experience, and to be kind of reductionist in, in, in the whole psychedelic experience. There are drug companies, psychedelic companies now saying we can create molecules that do not have uh, hallucinations and, and that type of thing. And at that one, we tend to feel that that is a, a track that's not necessarily the best track because some of the outcomes, uh, some of the leading researchers in the world, in the UK in particular, are finding that, yeah, they, they're starting to understand to some degree what's happening, uh, you know, in the realm of brain chemistry and neurotransmitters and which molecules are causing what reaction in, in, in the brain under psychedelics. But they're also saying, you know, we think that a lot of the psychedelic, uh, the healing from psychedelics comes in this realm that's so-called hallucinogenic or spiritual or visionary realm that we can't really quantify, but that seems to be where the healing is occurring. So to your question, yeah, there's a, there's a risk that some of these um, methodologies will actually just literally process the healing out of it. A pure molecule in its own right isn't really the essence of a psychedelic experience. Now, the reason this happens and has to happen is because if you start talking about the more esoteric aspects of a psychedelic experience that cannot be quantified, such as, you know, spirituality and seeing visions and other realms and deities and that type of thing, the, more, the Western medical system 
won't tolerate that because they can't measure it, so it gets discounted. And so in order to get these medicines through the system, the research has to occur at the molecular level, at the scientific level, at the brain interface. And that's, that's why all this research is oriented that way. But we, those of us that you know are experienced in this realm, know that a lot of the healing does occur in these realms that cannot and should not be quantified. They just can't be. It's a subjective and beautiful, powerful healing experience. So the Atma, you know, Atmos Therapist Network Services Program, which is what essentially the foundation of the whole business, will bring people into this knowledge base in a very coordinated way. So there will be tremendous resources available for people to access knowledge, information, talk to therapists, find a therapist in your area that you can talk to about the experiences and uh, move along that path. That's an interesting perspective. I've recently, I don't know if you're familiar with Michael Pollan, he actually wrote a great book on psychedelics, but I also read a book he wrote recently called In Defense of Food. And it really talks about this dark period that we went through over the last 40 years where scientifically we've reduced food down to its molecules. And like, well, this is the magic this, or this is the problem over here. And he said, what we've forgotten about is that it's the food as a whole and how those chemicals interact with each other, where they were grown, how they were prepared, like what actually makes food food and actually good for us or quote unquote bad for us. But this isolation of nutrients, which is what we do, it's, the science, it's part of, like you said, if you can't measure it, 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 it can't exist. I just, I see a lot of parallels of maybe a potential risk of, do we have to go through that dark period with psychedelics like we've done, I believe, with food, where we've now started to come back around going, well, no, if you look at that whole egg and don't just isolate the cholesterol, there's other nutrients in there that balance that out. So, I don't know, just some parallels in my mind of, of, of how, like, what we like to do to things as the Western approach and the scientific approach versus sometimes going... Yeah, there is some unknowns there, but when you wrap it all together, it creates a positive outcome. And I know that goes against our, you know, do what do what science does, deduce it down to its its most finite point. Not always the answer. And I think we've done us done ourselves harm in our food industry by taking that similar approach. So I'm just drawing drawing a bit of an abstract or maybe not that abstract parallel. <laughs> no, I think it's a fantastic parallel. It's right on point. And we in the Western, in our Western minds, we need to become more comfortable with the realms that are not quantifiable, not measurable, and not necessarily well understood that are subjective, because in that subjective realm, we are our own healers. And uh, even quantum, some of the quantum physics thinkers around the world now are coming to the conclusion that the placebo, in fact, in, in fact, is the source of consciousness. It is consciousness working at its maximum potential. So the placebo effect, which gets discounted routinely in our Western scientific system, is in fact the answer to healing. It's accessing other realms of consciousness and psychedelics plug you right into these other realms of consciousness that you can't really describe. There's no language for them, but the outcomes are the outcomes are measurable. And you see a person go from being suicidally depressed to being hopeful and joyful after one ceremony, that is an outcome that's measurable. Yes, and whether whether you can measure measure it molecule by molecule, that that person is now measuring it in the in the existence of their being of their life. You know, I've been down the Joe Dispenza road recently. A friend of mine got me back into it a few years, and that the the idea of thoughts or things and that quantum level of thinking and what exists when you put it out there when you when you start to line it up in that realm, it fits pretty nicely into that into that thinking model, like really quickly, actually. <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah. Well, what an interesting, uh, uh, what an interesting rabbit hole to go down, and I think that there is some opportunity. You know, 
if we don't like the outcomes we've been getting from a, from a North America, like in a, from our Western approach, it behooves us to look at things a little bit differently, which I know can be very, very scary. And I, I, I'm a very huge advocate of the opportunity for psychedelics to have positive impacts for people. To your point, if managed and approached properly in the right setting with the right outcomes and the right professionals. And to think about, you know, a rapidly evolving industry, there's also opportunity for us to kind of go off in the wrong direction. So we, I do trust our infrastructure, i.e. our medical system to Health Canada, to hear that Health Canada is really open-minded, that surprised me a little bit because I don't think of them that way for no other reason than just, oh, big government body, the word open-minded, agile, thoughtful, it doesn't first come to mind for me. It's just maybe really unfair for Health Canada. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But our experience has been, they've been really fantastic and they're going to be a real advocate for, for rapidly bringing new mental health paradigms into the market. I recognize the need working open-mindedly and collaboratively with the right people. I think uh, you couldn't ask for anything more from a, you know, a regulatory body. No, and certainly I would say more than you would maybe normally get when the, the idea of, you know, it's it's easier to say no than it is to say maybe, but let's learn more kind of thing, just in, in, in general. In your experience from the in, the, in the capital markets, are there certain groups around the world, and I'm assuming we've got to look beyond, well beyond our Canadian borders for groups that have, uh, psychedelics as part of their portfolio or part of their thesis is to now invest in that. So have you, in your research, have you run into groups globally or even North America and the U.S. where that is their mandate, that they're out there actively looking for psychedelics opportunities to invest in? Well, I think there are groups. There are groups that are interested in the entire mental health space. Mm. Okay, so go up, one, go up one notch higher. Category. Okay, I see. That it's a gigantic category, right? It's like almost like you know, green energy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> health care is another, you know, and, and, and mental health realm, has become only we, top, more top of mind in the last, you know, 10 years, at least if not right, in the last five, right. it seems to be exponentially. We're all becoming more aware that this is a real thing that we, that should not be swept under the rug or should not be minimized if someone experiences it. Well, the thing is mental health has become, you know, a household topic. Now it used to be a no, no, we'd only talk about it behind the scenes. If that, if and that at all, yeah. now it's just a, it's a, topic of conversation every day in the news and the press and among every individual because we've also realized that it's part of being human if there are aspects in the human experience that lead to mental issues as well so it's been legitimized so now it's like okay how do we fix that I really appreciate the shift and you, you kind of gave me a really interesting filter. If we think about the category we're actually talking about is mental health. And now as we go into mental health, we start to look at all of the different modalities or the different streams of opportunities business-wise that exist and going into the therapeutic counseling, coaching, you know, making people better through one-on-one -on -one interaction and then adding psychedelics into the mix as a toolkit. Uh, to me, it all of a sudden gives me a place to put it in my mind as I'm an investor of like, oh yeah, I want to I want to spend time in this sector. It's actually the mental health sector that I'm in, not just this randomly new, which feels maybe a little more risky. You add new and 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 money together, ooh, what's the risk of psychedelics? But what we're really talking about is the mental health space and the opportunity to add value to an existing kind of setup. That to me, you you've, you gave me a big shift in terms of how I look at it as an investor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and you have to look at where where are the outcomes the most, you know, the quickest, the most profound, and the most measurable. And mm. you can honestly say psychedelics, by far, eclipse almost any other mental health uh, ther therapeutic paradigm that's out there. Talk therapy takes too long; can be fantastic, yeah. but it's a model that you know that has shown to be not not efficient in times when when people are really urgently struggling and need need help. And so 
And psychedelics are such an efficient and rapid pathway to transformation. And then the therapeutic realm can provide incredible support and integration of those experiences in a more efficient way. So, you know, people just have to look at the research for themselves and really dive into it and see that this is the medicine of the future in terms of well, mental well-being. Is there any challenges with the business model? And this is, I feel ridiculous asking this question, but I can't help it. That because it works too well, you know, there's, you know, the, the, I've had friends that have been on different medications and these aren't one and dones. These are like years. And then the challenge of getting off these drugs, and I'm not saying that they wouldn't help or they weren't beneficial, but I've met a lot of friends who are like, man, I really want to get off this XYZ thing. And oh, I get night sweats and I can't, and I'm, I feel like if I do it too quick and my doctor doesn't want me to go off of it, that's a great financial model as heartless as that sounds to even say it out loud. But when we talk about what you just said, man, that doesn't, that sounds like a tough financial model when, when you're, when your problems are solved in, in one, in one dose or one or two doses. So I feel, I feel really silly even asking question. that question. <laughs> I love that question because I've had the same, I had the same observation a few years ago when I started to do my research. I thought this is a terrible business model. Told, that's for, my feeling. You know, in the standard pharmaceutical realm, yes. you know, cause they want people to be, taking antidepressants, which are, in fact, addictive SSRIs. Yes, they are. You want them to take them forever. And as you said, they never get off them. I think that fundamentally this is a great business model simply because you're curing and helping so many people, which leads to productivity in society, leads to more well-being in society. And there will be an, and there's an endless need for that type of, of you know, curative function in society. So maybe you're not going to have the same kind of business model that, that the, you know, the big pharmaceuticals have, but you'll make enough money, you know, because here's the thing about what psychedelics do. They always say to you, they always reveal back to you, what, how much is enough? How much is enough money? How much is enough success? How much is enough in, in life? And you attenuate your, your expectations. You can have a very sustainable, profitable, long lasting business that's helping millions and millions and millions of people. And a lot of them never have to come back again. And I think that's great. That's a good business model for society because not everything is, is predicated on endless growth. I appreciate that. And also, I don't, you know, your experience and maybe mine, it's also a journey. Like there's amazing the breakthroughs you can get in these huge leap forward. But the beautiful thing about hu being human is you grow into that new version of yourself and then, well, maybe you want to peel back a few other layers. I, I've certainly found in my life, it's been an ongoing journey, but there is a, you know, there are big breakthroughs and there are big moves forward, but there is, you know, there, there is like, like working out. Once you're in shape, it's easier to stay in shape, but you still have to work out occasionally. So there is an opportunity also, I think that this is a life enhancing experience. There's the big move away from traumas and like, well, my life is not going at all the way I want to, oh, maybe I want to fine tune or maybe, you know, turn the knobs, a little, the dials a little bit on how I'm engaging or how my personal relationships are, or how I feel about myself. So, you know, not to be said that this is a one and done. It, it, being human is a lifelong adventure, I found. <laughs> well, it is, and it isn't a one and done, and I don't mean to imply that. And that's why we love the ther therapist-driven model, because there will always be a need for, for therapists, for people to talk to other people and have that exchange. And integration of the psychedelic experience is a critical gap in the entire marketplace right now people go off and do a psychedelic experience they come back into their lives and they don't know how to interpret all of this incredible internal information and then translate it into daily life because everything has changed that therapeutic model is a fantastic support system and will become even more as as therapists become more educated and knowledgeable about what that experience was so 
it's not going away, but it'll become more humanized. It's not just somebody sitting, taking a drug once a week or once a day to feel better and get through life. We're creating more holistic mental health organism. And that therapeutic model and the depth of the conversations you're now able to have, like you said, it takes too long. But if you add this quote unquote accelerant, and I say that in a positive way, where you've, you get increased level of self-awareness, maybe reduce ego involvement, things like that, those conversations can also move you forward. Like, you know, what took 12 conversations before might take three or four now. And I know it's not, I'm not there's no formula, so I won't be careful saying that. But yeah, not to imply that this is, is a one and done. Marie, from your perspective, just to give our listeners a little bit of, you know, I, I love to get people thinking, which I'm, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boldly say that we've done that on, on this call, on this chat, but where, where, to, where do I do next? What are my next steps? So from someone who's been doing a lot of research and you said putting yourself out there, if I was a potential investor or just, I'm just a human that really wants to get involved in this and find out more, what are some of the paths or directions, any places you would recommend people to go to just start to open up and, and learn more? Well, the, you know, most, most of the big, you know, financial institutions have psychedelic research available. Now, most mm, of them have some covering the mental health space and they issue research reports and that type of thing. So there's a lot of objective information and there are psychedelic associations springing up all over the place. You can just search it on the internet and you'll find psychedelic um, research and organizations that are promoting the efficacy of psychedelics, that type of thing. So you can get self-educated pretty quickly. Mm. Um, you know, you I know it's a pretty lame answer, but if you just Google it, you know, <laughs> resources. If all else, if all else fails, <laughs> just Google it. <laughs> well, and chair of psychedelics research at the UFC—that's a massive. You know, there's you can look across globally when you see a huge shift economically. Often you can trace it back to a prof or a certain movement that happened. You know, the AI movement in Montreal is one that comes to mind for me, being my home city. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, where did where did Montreal become this AI hub? It's like, well, there was a certain professor who brought together a certain group of people and educated, and then that started to spider web out into the community, and then the government got involved and supported it. So, hearing like a move like that of USC having like that's about as to me that's a huge checkbox of, of legitimacy, or that this is here and that this is yeah. this is happening. That's massive. And, and you know, the interesting thing, as you said, how these things spring up is someone, the person that sponsored that chair had a had a niece who had had a lot of issues and, and had some very powerful healing experiences with psychedelics. And he was like, well, if this can happen to my niece, what could it do for the I heard that was from a, up? that was from an, not anonymous, but not publicly, not publicly disclosed donation that got that moving. Right. That's how that happened. Well, it's called the uh, Parker psychedelic research chair. Uh, that's the official name for it. And it's under the, the Hotchkiss brain Institute that's awesome. at the university of Calgary. So that's public information. And, um, you know, the stories are out in the media. Yep. And so, but it always comes from somebody's personal transformative experience. I mean, Atma came out of the personal transformative experiences of the founders, you know, Futran and David Harder. And, and then I've joined through my own personal experiences because I believe this is incredibly important uh, for our society. And also, you know, during my, one of my ayahuasca experiences in Costa Rica a few years ago, I was shown this vision of Calgary as being an outdated thought form which I called in my book, The Dinosaur Mentality, which is about acquire and exploit. And I was shown that Calgary and Alberta in general had this enormous amount of spiritual energy waiting to emerge and new consciousness waiting to emerge. And this is the manifestation of that. You see a psychedelic cherry emerging at the University of Calgary. Who would have thought that? It was all oil and gas, energy and business forever. And so this is what's happening. That was actually shown to me in one of my 
psychedelic journeys. And of course, it would sound kind of wacky, but that's where the information is, is in the things that seem objectively wacky. And you can see this happening all over Alberta right now. New thought forms emerging, new types of businesses, new ideas, new energy. And uh, it's an incredibly positive time for Alberta, although, you know, because it's like a metaphor for the change you go through in a psychedelic experience. It's completely unsettling, completely unnerving. You're going to unknown territory for a long time, and then boom, you come out of it renewed. That's what's happening in Alberta. And I think it's happening across the board. I think that's, I, you know, this podcast, even from starting the two years ago to the conversations I'm, I was having to the conversations I'm having now to the, our startup ecosystem, to our funding, funders that are coming into this province that are emerging out of the out of the sidelines of, you know, the oil and gas space that are now really open to investing and putting putting that fuel to that fire. And next to the talent and the opportunity that exists here, I'm I'm, I'm clearly very pro-Alberta, but I, I, I love the vision. And you talked about, you know, I think on our last, on our first episode, you talked about District 9 and the shadow of the ship, you know, over top of Calgary. And when you start to lift that up, what's it do? It blocks out the sun and blocks out possibility, blocks out hope. And I don't, I think we've moved really far from where we were even a couple of years ago. In, you know, it's it's moving exponentially now. It's, you can see it every time you, you talk to people, you can feel it. So it's a really fantastic transformative time. It is. It's, yeah, it's exciting. I asked someone why they, why they set up shop here. They said, well, if you look across the country, this is the place that's poised for the next big thing to happen. Whatever that thing is, we're the best suited for that. Now, it was a group that had moved from from Manitoba to here, and why they set up shop here, and that was their reason. I was like, "Sounds good to me." Like, and you know, they had some more you know, criteria around that, but it was like, it, it, "This is the next place that something big will be," and I got really quite excited about that. Marie, yeah. love our chats, mm-hmm. love your passion, and obviously your your honesty and willingness to just share your experience and share some quote unquote wacky things to you to use your word. Sometimes you got to get a little bit wacky to find a different. View of view of the world psychedelic ceo fantastic book i absolutely loved it i devoured it in like four or five days so if anyone is even curious and like what they heard today please go check it out aside from that marie what's the best way for people to get a hold of you or to reach out if they just want to have a connect well i've got a, a website for the book www.thepsychedelicceo.com reach out to me there there's an email link and that's probably the best way to do it the book's out on amazon so i'm easy to find Fantastic. It's a, it's, it's a great read and uh, kudos to the work you're doing to bring some more light to this and to bring some awareness and bring it out of the shadows to the place I think it deserves to be where it can actually truly help, like you said, millions of people. So kudos to you for that. Thank you, Bray. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure.